Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. Not just about being more effective and efficient, but about doing life with meaning and purpose, getting rid of that overwhelming feeling that you're letting everybody down by not getting it all done. This week, it is absolutely my privilege to talk once again with one of my favorite podcasters, authors, and fellow U2 fan, Todd Henry. Yes, we do even touch on talking about U2. We both had recently, at the time of this recording, seen the recent U2 Innocence and Experience Tour. Todd has a new book out. I'll let him explain that, but we'll get into it. We'll talk much more about creativity and work and productivity than just that book. So let's get right into it. This week, it is my privilege yet again to have a returning guest, which is awesome. And it's been too long. Welcome back, Todd. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be here. So, Todd, you have another new book out. And again, I, I'm one of those people who I don't like to do a podcast where it's just every single guest is someone coming on and pushing a new thing. But I always <laughs> know, like the thing was, was I actually reached out to you and said, hey, when uh, when can I have you back on? And you were like, hey, I've got this book. And I'm like, oh, well, then we'll wait till then because then we have you know, a natural type of conversation catalyst. Right. So I, I always enjoy that. And I'm going to confess to you, I was actually a little unsure of how to work this in or how to talk about this when I saw the title because it felt like – and I'm setting you up here. I, it felt <laughs> like <laughs> – I'm telegraphing my punch. It felt like we'd been down this path before with other books. And so let's – the title is – Louder Than Words, Harnessing the Power of Your Authentic Voice. Somebody sees this on a bookshelf and they're like, oh, Harnessing the Power of Your Authentic Voice. Well, that's cool. You know, how to uh, be more me, how to know how to talk or speak or whatever, how to and, – and even if you go a little bit deeper on it, the idea of maybe how to do better what you do. And that actually is more along the lines of what you talk about. But – so let's get into this. What does the title mean to you? And what do you mean by authentic voice? 
Yeah, that's a great question because I do think that there's a lot of, uh, I think, misunderstanding about voice. I think that term is used when we talk about you know, finding your voice. I think people tend to yeah. kind of go to this very sort of mystical, ineffable place. And I just want to sit around and just think about what makes me happy all day and, you know, and sort of drill down on the essence of the true me. And, and I think that's a, a very short-sighted way to think about voice. Your voice isn't just what you say. It's not just what you care about. It's how other people receive what you do. You know, it's it's how you're heard. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Eric, like I have. Well, you probably have because you you know, record things basically for a living, right? You're putting your voice out into the world where you hear your recorded voice and you think, is that really me? Is that what I sound like? Um, because we always think we sound different than we actually do when we hear the recording. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of, of the kind of message that they're putting out into the world as they go about their work. They're not aware of how their voice is being received by other people. And so what I wanted to do in this book is help people understand what is it that the best, the brightest, the sharpest, the most amazing entrepreneurs, authors, writers, designers, uh, you know, people who are doing work that is substantial and recognizable, what is it that they have that makes their work resonant that maybe other people don't have, but they could have if they were a little more intentional about developing their voice. So it's not just what you do. It's not just what you say. It's how your work is received um, and, and what makes it remarkable and resonant in the marketplace of ideas that causes you to stand out. And so that's really what I wanted to drill down on. And, and like my other books, you know, it's not just about sitting around and thinking about <laughs> these concepts. It's about what you do, practices that you put in place to help you develop a compelling, resonant, authentic voice that really moves the needle. Yeah, that was, I have to say, as I was going through the book, one of the pieces that I, I shouldn't have been surprised by, but I, I honestly, I guess I was because of this type of book that it is, was this idea and this availability that you made at the end of each chapter of just the practicality of the takeaways and not just takeaways, but in essence, homework. <laughs> You're giving us right. homework to right. to establish our authentic voice. And as I was doing that, I kept thinking – I'll send this as a compliment. I kept thinking that this book was very much a cousin book, if you will, to Jeff Goins' most recent mm. book, uh, The Art of Work which is all about finding your calling. And this isn't that, but it is. It's more like a cousin to it. Right, you know? right. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a very accurate assessment, I think, of of the two uh, books. I mean, I love Jeff and I love his work. And, uh, you know, I do think that we... It's funny because I, this has happened before where I, I'm sort of exploring similar territory with other <laughs> right. people at the same time. I had that same experience when um, I was writing my last book, Die Empty, and I was actually on a flight to Istanbul. And um, I had just turned in my manuscript and I picked up a copy of Cal Newport's book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And I read it in one <laughs> sitting on the way to Istanbul. And I had that sort of fist shaking in the air moment. I'm like, we're exploring the same territory at this same time, right? It's funny how these ideas are out in the ethos, um, you know, sort of out in culture. And it's funny how different people latch on at the same time. So yeah, I think, I think we're exploring the same thing. What I wanted to do with 
louder than words is look at, I mean, I'm, I'm out working, I'm in the marketplace, I'm, I'm working with organizations, I'm talking to people all the time and really sort of extract the patterns that I'm finding out there among people, companies, um, you know, entrepreneurs, artists, these people who are doing it really well, that are really resonant and try to figure out and kind of decode what is it that they seem to have, what, what do they seem to be doing in a very practical way that, that makes them different from the rest of the pack. Yeah. One of the things that I actually noticed also about the title itself, the, the first three words, it's, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like every book out there now has a title and then a subtitle. I don't think there's a book out there that doesn't have that combination anymore. That that is true, and and I think part of the challenge is that you know there are obviously so many books being written now, and it's hard to find something that's unique and that captures the essence of the book without using something that's already been taken. Uh, and I think also there has you know you have to sort of make a promise in the title, and I think that's part of uh, one of the challenges of naming any kind of product now is that you know you have to separate it and you also have to make a promise. So I think that's where the title subtitle you know really comes into play. Yeah, when I look at it though, I look at the big bold orange words. Literally louder than words. And I think of not just the words being what is being crafted and, and what it is that you're working on, but also then the, the word louder being kind of the delivery method, if you will, you know, because it in, indicates volume, mm. uh, not, not volume in the, geez, words, words are so messy because, uh, the word volume could be a measurement. Actually, it's a measurement in both. Geez, this is crazy talk. Are you following what I'm saying at all? I haven't even made my point, but you can see where I'm getting tripped up here. Louder indicates volume in in, in terms of sound. I was getting tripped up on the fact that volume is also a measurement of liquid and things like that. So so my point was, is that the title itself indicates that it's not just about the words that you create, but also the presentation of them. And in a literal voice, you would be speaking words like we are right now. But then the volume of them or the softness of them indicates different nuances. Does that make sense? It, it does. It does. And I think that is where the rubber meets the road with regard to this book and what I really wanted to cover, because I think a lot of people are under the sort of, I, I think they have this misunderstanding that if I want to be recognized, I just need to build a bigger platform. I just need more attention. I just need a, a bigger audience. I need to build my tribe, right? Um, and the way they go about doing that is by screaming, by, by yelling, by <laughs> through volume. Volume, you know, like you mentioned, and I just need more attention. If I had more attention, I would achieve more impact. And I believe that's the, the great lie of our age where it's so easy to build a platform and everybody's talking about platform. We're all talking about building a bigger platform, a bigger arena for the influence that we want to have. But I think talking about platform without addressing voice first is putting the cart before the horse. I think that when we start with how do I build a big platform and then I'll figure out what I want to say. Uh, I think that is uh, missequenced. I think we have to begin with what is the impact I want to have in the world? What is the influence that I want to have on the marketplace? Because my body of work, the sum total of the value I create will speak louder than the words that I use. Simply screaming at people and telling them to do something is not going to achieve impact. I might gain awareness that way, but not impact. And there's a big difference, Eric, between awareness and impact. A lot of people may know who you are. They may know what you do. But if you're not really moving the needle in their life, it's not going to matter in any substantive manner over the long term. So you have to begin by understanding who am I? What is my sort of rooted sense of identity? What is my work based in? And then you have to move on to determining 
What is the vision I have for my work? How do I want to serve my intended audience? What kind of impact do I want to have? And some people would say, well, wait a minute, authentic. Authentic means I'm just going to be me anytime I want to do something. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to put it out there. And I think that's also a misunderstanding of authenticity. I think authenticity means that you're vested. It means you have skin in the game, that you're putting yourself out there, that your audience can see that you're going to rise and fall based upon the veracity of your mission, of your efforts, right? And so you have to... Authenticity means I'm putting my, my skin in the game. People sniff inauthenticity very easily these days. So when you're authentic and then you have a vision, you're shaping your work according to the needs of your audience and the impact you want to have, that then tells you what you need to master, the skills you need to have in order to be able to put that vision out there and in order to achieve it. So those are the three kind of core elements that seem to be present in the work of people whose work resonates, who speaks louder than just the words that they're using, right? Are authenticity, which is a vestedness, vision, which means they have an understanding of what they want their work to do and the impact they want it to have. And then mastery, they have a mastery of their domain. Because if you don't have mastery of your domain or your platform, then you're going to be seen as incompetent. So you have to have all three of those things if you want your work to resonate and if you want to have a compelling and authentic voice and separate yourself within the marketplace of ideas. If I hear you right, and and I think I am, the three of those things kind of build into each other as it is anyway, because if you're in the process of mastery, but you're being open about the struggle to master, then you're being authentic by putting skin in the game. And when you share that, what was the third component? I'm missing it. Vision. Vision, you, right. Because you're, you know, in, in intention of mastering, you're headed towards a certain destination, although that, that can be a moving target, which is a good thing. So yeah, it's that openness with the struggle and then pulling that out of yourself and slabbing it down and working with it like clay. And then you see what you get and then you keep tweaking it and you're saying, okay, I'm not going to worry about who the audience is just yet for this. I'm working on it for me. And then you're kind of saying, okay, now that I kind of have an idea of who this would be for aside from myself, now I know what the best showcase is for that. And that's not necessarily a stadium. It could be a, you know, a smaller venue. Right. Exactly. Well, I, th- I think we, so we were talking about YouTube. We both went to the YouTube show in Chicago, uh, recently and we were talking about them as an act, um, you know, who is kind of teetering on that edge of, are they going to remain relevant or are they going to start touring as a legacy act? Right. Are they going to start yeah. playing to their past body of work or are they going to continue creating a new body of work? And many acts like, you know, the Rolling Stones and, and others are largely touring as legacy acts now. They're saying, Hey, look at all this stuff we did once upon a time. And you too is kind of on that forefront where they, they could go one way or the other um, and they continue putting out new work. But what's interesting, if you look at them as a, as a case in point, I've never actually used this as an example before. I'm only using it because we were just talking about it before we started recording. But you know, if you look at them and you, it's really obvious from having attended their show what they care about. And this entire tour really is about where they came from. And so you talk about authenticity. I mean, they really put themselves out there. They they're really vested. They're really going all in in terms of what they're doing and what they stand for and their sound, even to the point that they sometimes really alienate their core fan base because they say, hey, here's who we are. Here's what we do. And here's kind of what we care about. And then there's a vision, a very clear vision for where they want that show to go. And so they did 
a lot of things in their show that were very politically minded, um, very uncomfortable even. I mean, you know, uh, sort of you know, talking about you know, car bombs and I mean, not the kind of stuff you do if you just want to rile up the right. crowd and give them what they want. Let's right? go to a rock show and listen to them rant on about political struggles in Ireland. Exactly. Or, That's exactly or here right. in the U.S. for that matter. Exactly. And really, you know, like nothing like stepping up and like indicting the country in which you're giving a concert, you know, there's nothing like that. And yet they have a very clear vision for where they want to lead the audience in the course of the show and what they want to do. And that's not always aligned with the expectations of the audience, but the audience is willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because what they're doing is rooted in authenticity and they see that they have skin in the game and they're in it with you, right? And that's what an authentic voice does for you. And then obviously they have mastery of their domain. They're master performers. They're amazing musicians. They've written great music. And so again, you can kind of see how all three of those things provide that foundation of credibility and resonance for their work, even though everything they do doesn't hit the mark with their audience, but the, the audience is willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because they see that authentic piece, that piece where they're, they're have skin in the game, where they're in it with you. And so as a result, the audience is willing to listen to them and go where they want to lead the audience, you know, according to their vision for where they want the show to go. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and one of the things I think, you know, we're to, we're talking about a rock band. We're talking about a, a group of people who have been friends since high school and they've been in a band, you know, the whole garage band thing and they've been doing it for 40 plus years or just shy of that. And that in and of itself is insane <laughs> to be honest, but that's their living, you know, and they don't make light of that. In fact, and you know, I get so many things that I don't deserve is one of the lines in one of the new songs and 
And that's what they're talking about. But let's bring this back to the listener here who may not be an entrepreneur, may not be an artist or a writer or, you know, a creative type, but they know that one, there's work that they're meant to do. And two, there's a voice that they've not developed. How do we bring that down to that every man or every woman level into that arena of that as you do the work, you're becoming who you really are. You know, as you do the work, you leave yourself, some of yourself in it, but also then the work, it transcends you to a certain extent. I'm getting a little ethereal here, but you know where I'm going. Absolutely. Well, and and that's the thing, you know, really developing your voice is the process of marrying some of those more ethereal, mystical kinds of existential questions that we have about life and work and why is it important with the practical day-to-day tasks that we have to do in order to keep our job and, and provide value to the people around us. And it really is kind of the marriage of those two things that yields value, yields results. And so we have to begin with those three elements that I talked about before authenticity what do you really care about what is your work rooted in what you know what what is it that when you experience it it fills you with a sense of awe and wonder and excitement and enthusiasm I mean, these are important clues to the kind of value that you might be wired to contribute in the world and and this is really important for us to pay attention to because it's so easy and tempting eric in the fray in the midst of the pressure and the work that we have to do it's easy to just be carried along by the work and just follow opportunity because it's in front of us. And that's how many people get far off course. They see something, they experience something, they have an opportunity and they think, well, that's more money. That's more comfort. Sure. And so they jump into it. And then the next opportunity comes and the next one comes and the next one comes. And pretty soon they're pretty far off course from where they really believe they should have been going because they were just following opportunity. They weren't stopping to ask, what's really important to me? What kind of work do I really want to create? What kind of value do I want to contribute? And so authenticity is an important part of that. Identity is an important part of that. We have to understand what's really important to us. You know, in the book, I offer a couple of strategies for helping people do that, um, like writing a manifesto and, and using that as a baseline to make decisions. You know, what is really important to me? What will I stand for? Or paying attention to the things in your environment that are moving you and causing you to be stirred with compassionate anger or that are causing you to be moved emotionally. I mean, again, these are kind of clues to the kinds of work that you might be wired to do. It's not just enough, though, to have a sense of identity because if you have that and you don't move beyond that, you're you know basically going to live a very selfish life that's focused just on you and your needs and your desires. You also have to have a vision for your work. You have to know where you want your work to go, the kind of impact you want your work to have in the world, which is about defining an intended audience. And that intended audience could be for a writer, an artist, an entrepreneur, could be, you know, sort of a a group of people that you're trying to reach and trying to mobilize. But if you work inside of an organization, that intended audience could be your end customer. It could be your manager's manager, depending on what you're doing. But it's important that you have an understanding of who you're trying to reach, who you're trying to influence, and how you're trying to influence those people. And that's what vision for your work is all about. It's about shaping that authentic expression so that it will connect with your intended audience. And then that gives you a sense of what you have to master, the skills you have to have in order to be able to bring that message to that intended audience or that group of people in order to have impact. And so those three things, identity, vision, mastery, if you build a set of practices in each of those areas consistently in your life, then over the course of time, as you 
are looking at what's going on in your world, the opportunities in front of you, the tasks that you have to do, you can begin to infuse those three things into your work so that it more accurately reflects who you are and your unique capabilities rather than just reflecting the priorities, the obligations, um, you know, and the interests of everyone around you, which is what many people do, unfortunately. Um, they, they never really infuse themselves into their work because they're so busy just trying to keep up with the expectations of others. And so they never really build their body of work. They build somebody else's body of work, which is, in my mind, profoundly sad. Oh, yes. That is one of the things that I think that sometimes people get caught up in, in, in terms of that every man position is they feel trapped. Uh, you even use the word inertia uh, mm-hmm. in the book to describe some of that, where you've been, you know, the, the weight of the situation or the lack of movement or the combining factor of both of those can just rob you of your desire to have the identity, vision, and mastery when it comes to, you know, changing up your situation. And again, I'm not sitting here preaching, hey, we should all jump out of our day job and become entrepreneurs. In fact, I think that there's actually something really cool about knowing, this is going to sound weird, but knowing your place in an organization and being fully aware of it and fully accepting of it, not in a, oh, I accept my lot in life, but as a, I know my current role and I now know how I can fully fulfill that role and even exceed that role and even set expectations of myself for that role and not just take the expectations that others have of me in the role and move past and move forward even. Agree completely. And I think that, you know, we, there are many people who spend their entire life wishing for a different platform wishing for a different opportunity, wishing for a different job. And the problem is when you do that, when that's your mindset, the grass is always going to be greener. I'm telling you this right now, having been in the marketplace now for 20 something years, I'm telling you that the grass is always going to seem greener if you're constantly looking out there for fulfillment. The people who develop their voice and create impact are people who say, okay, what's in front of me right now? How can I bring the best of who I am to what I do? How can I bring me to the tasks that I'm doing to do. I don't like them. I don't want to do them. I don't even think I want to be in this job for very long, but I'm going to bring the best of who I am to what I do, my authentic self. I'm going to bring a vision and I'm going to do my best to master the skills I need to really excel in this job. And the people who have that mindset, Eric, are the people who find opportunities coming to them, you know, rather than constantly jumping from job to job to job to job. And, and this is a real problem in our mindset. I think that we think about, we talked, I think, in our last interview about this word passion and we talk about passion for work and follow your passion. And so often I think people think that this means, oh, if I don't like the tasks that I'm doing all day, there's something profoundly wrong with me. There's something wrong with the job, right? There's something that, that I need to change. I need to find different, a different scene. I need a different job because I don't like my tasks that I do. I'm not passionate about my work. That is a very, very short-sighted way to think about work. It's a very short-sighted way to think about contribution. Passion, this word, and I, again, I think we talked about this last yeah. time, it comes from the root word that means to suffer. So when we talk about being passionate about something, it doesn't mean we're always going to suffer, but it means we're willing to suffer on behalf of it because there's an outcome that we're committed to transcends the tasks that we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And so if we want to develop an authentic voice, there is going to be suffering involved. Talk to any artist, talk to anybody who started a business, talk to anybody who's excelled in their career and has pushed an initiative forward that's created value. It's not easy and they don't like everything they have to do. 
there is a lot of suffering involved. Now, not suffering in the you know grand scale of you know carnage and all those kinds right. of things, right? But suffering in in the sense that we're going to have to do things we don't want to do. That are going to be difficult. They're going to be challenging for us. That we're not going to like. That we're not going to be equipped for. That we're going to feel ill-equipped for, right? To do. But if we want to create value, we have to be willing to push into those uncomfortable places. We have to be willing to vest ourselves in something that is uh, important personally to us, to put it out there in the world, to risk rejection. Very uncomfortable to do these things. And we're not going to like our tasks all day. If you want to like your tasks, then that's fine. Go live in a tent on the beach and just you know do whatever you want to do. That's fine. For those of us who want to build a body of work that stands the test of time, is substantive, we're going to have to do things we don't like. I'm going to share a little secret, which I don't like to write. That is not something <laughs> I enjoy doing. And I've written three books in the last four years. And I spend a lot of my time writing. I don't enjoy writing, but I love, love the impact that comes from the research and the writing that I do. And I love getting to spend time with people and share these insights in person with them when I go to work with companies or speak at events and whatnot. I don't love the tasks, but that's a part of what it is to be a grown up. Sometimes we have to do things we don't like so we can achieve impact that we really, really love. And developing your voice is the same way. If I hear you right, I hear you saying... You don't love to write, but you love having written. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to put it because the, the, you know, I'm more committed to the impact than I am to my own comfort. I'm more committed to the impact than I am to enjoying the tasks that I do all day long. And that, again, that's what it is to develop an authentic rooted voice, yeah. right? It's a, it's a sense of commitment to a through line that transcends your day-to-day tasks. I would have to say I agree. I love having podcasts out there for people to listen to, including mm-hmm. myself, because I will often go back and re-listen to a conversation, not to hear myself, although that is part of it, to listen and say, oh, you know what, I should ask this question here or there for a whole other thread of, of thought, but to listen back to the answers as well. So I, I'm, you know, and again, I will listen back to this conversation too. So I like having podcasted. I don't know that I love podcasting, although in the moment, like right now, this is a whole lot easier for me than writing. So, right, and you're a right. pod, and you're a podcaster too, so you know what I'm I talking am. about. Well, yeah, and I've been I've been podcasting since 2005, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm in the exact same camp where I've been doing this for 10 years now, and I can't say that I love the technical nature, the technical aspects of podcasting. I don't, but I love getting emails from our listeners who say, wow, this really changed the vector of my life, right? This really impacted me in a significant way. Love that. I also love getting emails from people saying, I completely disagree with what you just said. Fantastic, because that means I'm moving the needle, right? My vision for the audience isn't just to you know, preach to the choir and tell them everything that they like. Sometimes I'm going to say things that are going to rile people up. That's fantastic. I love that because that means I'm being precise in what I'm doing. If you never, if no one ever disagrees with you, Eric, it means that you're being too wishy-washy. It means you probably don't have a precise vision for your work, right? Um, I mean, again, let's go back to you too. There are people who love you too, and there are people who hate you too. But there are very few people who are just ambivalent about you too. Yeah, I could take them or I could leave them. Versus look at the broad swath of pop music today. People are like, yeah, I don't know, right? It's because most music doesn't have a point of view. Most artists don't have a precise point of view. They're not creating for a specific, precise intended audience. And as a result, you know, they don't attract that kind of loyalty or that kind of uh, passionate response to their work. And so, you know, I love it when people disagree with me. And I'm sure there are many people who will read this book and completely disagree with it. I, I love it when I get 
very reasonable low star reviews on Amazon that are reasoned out. I can't stand (laughs) the one star, you know, this book sucks kind of reviews because that, you know, but I love it when people have passionate responses against my work. And I love it when people have passionate responses for my work. What I can't stand are just the unreasoned, you know, irrational, (laughs) emotional responses. But I love it because it means that I'm speaking to a specific group of people. I'm being precise. And when you're being precise, you're going to inspire love and you're going to inspire hatred, but that's okay. Yeah, I love that. And you even start to go into uh, a collective in the book. You talk about a collective and how do you see that fitting into the, I mean, I know that that has more to do with developing the voice, but how does that have to do with tying into the audience of what you're doing? Yeah. So listen, we all become myopic over time in in terms of how we, we see our work. I mean, we all begin to develop tunnel vision and just kind of see only the thing we're doing and the impact we want to have. And sometimes it's easy to ignore the context for our work. And so it's important to have groups of people around you who can help you stay on track, people who can help you refine your vision, better understand what it is you're trying to do, and and honestly help you see you for who you are. Because again, we can very easily, you know, we, we start out by having an insight about who we are. And then it's really easy to fossilize around that insight and say, okay, well, this is who I am. Well, no, you're constantly growing and developing as a person and, and achieving new uh, kinds of impact and new avenues of expression in your life that maybe you don't see because you're so fossilized around this understanding of who you are. So collective, your collective or the group of people around you can help open you up to new ideas, new avenues of expression. It can honestly call BS on some of your stuff if it's really not who you are. I mean, they can tell you, hey, stop doing this. This is not who you are. I mean, a really great question, Eric, that you can ask somebody close to you is, what am I doing right now that doesn't seem like me? What am I doing right now that's not consistent with what I say I want to stand for in the world? And these are the kinds of things that having a collective around you can do, as well as just inspiring you and, and sharpening your mind. And we see this in the in the lives of great you know, writers and artists and business people. I mean, they all have people around. Well, not all of them. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Many of them. The best have, of them. <laughs> the best of them. Yeah, exactly. Have people around them who can inspire them, sharpen them and help them stay on track. And, you know, one of the things that I hear very frequently from business leaders, and I'm talking about some of the biggest business leaders that many of whom we would all know if, if I mentioned them. One of the things I hear from them is there's nobody in my life who will tell me the truth. There's nobody in my life who will speak to me things that I don't want to hear. And a lot of times it's because they have become so powerful and so known and, and so influential that people don't want to alienate them. They want to stay close to them. And so they won't speak truth to them. So we have to have peers who will help us stay aligned and help us stay on course if we want to continue contributing over the course of time. Interesting. And in that collective, we take on almost mutual roleship of another concept that you mentioned in the book called Sherpas or being Sherpas to each other because we don't do this alone or, or we don't definitely don't do this on our own. That's for sure. That's right. Yeah. So there was, I give the example in the book of a guy named Larry and Larry has uh, probably has as much influence in my life as anybody I could name off the top of my head other than my parents and maybe a handful of other people. Uh, because at a, at a pretty critical moment in my life, about 12 years ago, uh, I was kind of going through some career wavering, trying to figure out where I was going to go, what I was going to do. And I met Larry 
by happenstance and he just happened to be a book lover and he started shoving books into my hands that I had never heard of before by people I had never heard of before. But he would say, read this and come back next week. We're going to talk about it. He was what my friend Ben calls a book bully, right? Somebody was just like bullying me with books. Like read this, read this, you know, or I'll steal your lunch money. And so I would read it. I would come back. We would have conversations. And this happened over the course of time at this bookstore where he worked. And then pretty soon I started going to his house and he would disappear into the basement of his house and come back and have a book. And I said, Larry, what is in your basement? And he said, come with me. So I went down to his basement and this, by the way, this is also how like a lot of creepy movies go, right? It wasn't <laughs> creepy. Uh, I went down in, in his basement with him and he had walls and walls of books down there and they were all categorized. It was just amazing. And it was incredible. And so Larry, over the course of about a year, shoved many books into my hands that eventually led me to what I'm I mean, really what I'm doing right now. You know, it sort of began that path for me. But if it hadn't been for him at that critical moment in time, laying the ropes for me and saying, okay, step here. Okay, now step here. I probably would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would have, who knows what I would be doing. I mean, I may be, but who knows, right? Um, but that was a critical moment in time. So we need those people and we need to be willing to receive those people people in our lives when they come across our path, because they can be critical in helping us navigate difficult passes in our life, like the one that I was in. I know that not everybody out there has somebody in their life right now, or at least hasn't identified, because there's often there is, and we don't know it yet, somebody that can play that role for us. But in the meantime, I think one of the cool things that we can do is we can do kind of doing our dailies, as you refer to it. How can we get the listener involved and doing their own homework in that sense. Right. Yeah. So if you want to get better at what you do, it's not a matter of mustering your will every so often. As Gretchen Rubin says, what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. Right. So it's important that you develop a set of daily practices that keep you on course, that keep you quote unquote battle ready. Um, so I was recently uh, speaking at an event in San Diego and to get to the resort where I was speaking, I had to go across a, a little narrow strip of land out on the Coronado Island. And of course, that's where the you know Navy SEALs, uh, you know, Bud's training center is, right? Or, or sort of where all the Navy SEALs kind of go through all of their, um, you know, sort of uh, nastiness in order to become Navy SEALs. And the driver, the driver who's taken me to the resort said that his friend was a Navy SEAL and he said, you will see them out there. 24-7 training. I mean, they are training all the time, even when they're not preparing for a mission or something, they're training. And he said, the reason my friend told me was because they have to be battle ready at all times. They have to be ready to ship out at 1203 or 706. They have to be ready to ship out at a moment's notice and be battle ready, be in shape and ready to go. Uh, and I thought, wow, that's a really interesting corollary you know, in a very different sphere, obviously, to what it is to have to go to work and create every day. You know, what does it take for us to be battle ready, to be ready at a moment's notice to, to deliver on our expectations? And I think a big part of that, just like with you know, these Navy SEALs who are training, a big part of that is having a set of daily practices in your life that keep you sharp, that keep you alert, that help you fill your mind with you know, stimuli, that keeps you on track, keeps you inspired. Uh, you know, if you're a writer... And the only time you write is when somebody's paying you to write. This is a profound issue for you because you have to gear up every time it's time to write something big that somebody's paying you for. Instead, you need to be writing every single day. And if nobody's paying you to write right now, you need to be writing to stay battle ready. 
you know, if the only time you do this is when you're getting paid, then it's going to be harder for you to gear up when it's time to do your work. If you want to express yourself in an authentic way and in a way that resonates, you have to have those practices that keep you in shape so that you can deliver when the times call for it. Interesting. So it's almost like you've got your daily routine that you do no matter what. And because you've done that, you wear that groove in. Okay. So that reminds me, you talk about the tortoise and the hare, or I should say you talk about the fallacy of the statement that's come out of that story where slow and steady wins the race. Right. Yeah. And I I think that that it is a a bit of a fallacy because we think of you know, well, I'm just going to pace myself. I'm just going to take my time. It's fine. I've got lots of time. And, you know, rather than hustling and and rushing into something. And to some extent, that's actually true, but it's not slow and steady that wins the race. It's slow, steady and deliberate that wins the race. It's deliberate practice. It's daily practice, deliberate effort. It's chunking. It's making uh, an effort to reach measured daily goals. And again, listen, we, we all know this, you know, this is not a big surprise. Nobody's thinking, oh, wow, you know, if I do a little bit at a time, it will add up over time. We've heard this a million times. It's, but the thing is, we don't do it, Eric. And that's what's frustrating when it comes time to, if we're writing a book, when it comes time to write our 500 words for the day, you know what? Daredevil on Netflix. I think I'm going to do that instead. I'll write tomorrow. You know, we do these kinds of things. We act more like the hare than the tortoise. You're thinking we can make it up later. Slow, steady, and deliberate wins the race. I I don't know about you. I'm not interested in a flash of brilliance. I'm not interested in having my moment in the sun. I am interested in over the next 10, 15, 20 years, building a body of work that will stand the test of time. And listen, if I am never famous, if I am never well-known, if I am never you know, celebrated by the masses, I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever, Eric, as long as there is a, a substantial group of people I have influenced for the better. I have freed them up. I have built a platform for them to go on and do great things in the world. And maybe some of the people I've influenced will in fact become celebrated and will change the world. That's absolutely fine with me because slow, steady, deliberate wins the race in my mind. Ugh. I have been thinking that for a long time and I've been trying to figure out a, a good way to say it. And I think you've come the closest so far. So I'm going to steal that. But Great. Uh, <laughs> Steal away. All right. I think that's a really good place to land. I think, again, it's being the best you. It's becoming better at what you do. It's about choosing the right things to do. But it's also about the impact that you make, and it's all of the above, but it's not about feeling like you missed out because you didn't get accolades for the work that you've done. That's never the reason you do it for. I agree completely. And you know, there was a time when celebrity followed accomplishment, (laughs) Um, when you did something and then you were celebrated for it. And that was kind of the meaning of celebrity. Uh, And I think we're unfortunately in an age now where it's so easy to grasp for attention prior to actually having done something of substance. And so my encouragement to all the people listening, and I am right here. Listen, we talk about having an authentic voice and developing an authentic voice. You will hear that come out as I say this next statement, right? I want to encourage you to run your race. Don't allow peripheral vision to cause you to drift off course. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't worry about whether people are celebrating your work. Focus instead on making your work resonate with the people you're trying to serve. Focus on trying to deliver as much value as you possibly can to those people. 
put yourself fully into your work, vest yourself in your work, sharpen and hone your vision, and then master your skills. Do that every single day and you will build a body of work you can be proud of. And ultimately, you will change the world. Even if it's in your own sphere of influence, you will change the world by doing so. Well said. All right, Todd, how can people find you online? So the best way to find me is toddhenry.com. And if you go there, you can also find all of my podcasts, everything else that I do. I do the Accidental Creative Podcast every week and we send out a newsletter to subscribers and all kinds of other stuff. You can get all kinds of great free goodies there at toddhenry.com. Awesome. Todd, it's been awesome to have you on the show again. I mean it that the next time we do this, it'll be face to face. We're not that far (laughs) from each other. It just didn't work out timing wise with you and the book coming out and and all that this time, but we will do that soon. So thank you. And and let me say, Eric, as a fan, as a listener of your podcast, thank you for being that slow, steady, deliberate, consistent force in people's lives. Because I know what it takes to do a podcast. I know what it takes to put something out to ship consistently like you do. And so thank you for not wavering. Thank you for not veering off course, but instead continuing to serve your audience with with diligence and with urgency. And it really means a lot to those of us who are on the other end of the microphone. Thank you. Awesome. Well, from a fellow podcaster, that means a lot to me. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. I always love talking with Todd. Eventually, he and I are going to meet up and we will record not just something for my show, but his show as well. He's only a few hours away from me. So, Todd, if you're listening back to this at some point, we are going to do this. We're going to make it happen. If you enjoyed this conversation, you got to head over and you got to grab that book. You also need to let Todd know that you appreciated his words of wisdom on this podcast. Head on over to twitter.com slash Todd Henry. Tweet Todd. Let him know that you appreciated his appearance on the Beyond the To-Do List podcast. And thanks again from me, Eric Fisher for listening. I am looking for future guests and future people that you would like to hear me have a conversation with about productivity. To do that, all you need to do is go to beyondthetodolist.com. Right there, there's a tab you can click called Feedback. It sends me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I'm trying to line up the next uh, large chunk of guests for the show into the future. If you take a few minutes to do that or let me know, what questions you have, productivity challenges you have that I can tackle, go ahead and go to beyondthetodolist.com. Click feedback. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Talk to you next time. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast.
Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx.